Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, the full interview, a remarkable interview, with FBI agent Stephen Friend. He's blowing the whistle on what he sees as serious problems inside his own agency. There is so much controversy surrounding our intelligence agencies and particularly the FBI, whether you're looking at their politically motivated investigation into Trump that turned out to be using political opposition research from the Clinton campaign, or the FBI attorney, Kevin Kleinsmith, who doctored a document to spy on a Trump campaign associate. By the way, nobody else was held accountable, even though numerous people had to be in that chain or had to know about the false information. And he, the FBI attorney, only got probation. Or there was FBI Director James Comey being referred for criminal charges when the Inspector General found that Comey mishandled our documents, publicly owned documents as FBI director in his efforts to smear Donald Trump. The Department of Justice chose not to act on that criminal referral. There was the FBI misdirection of the public and the controlling of social media to divert from the Hunter Biden laptop, which the FBI had prior to the 2020 election. The list goes on and on. And along the way, many have been saying Where are the FBI insiders who you would think might be speaking out, not going along, exposing what they see as wrongdoing? Well, we've learned in recent months that finally, at least a dozen FBI agents are talking. They're speaking to members of Congress about all kinds of scandals they say they've seen and alleged wrongdoing they say they've observed. Well, one of those agents is Special Agent Stephen Friend. He sat down for an interview with me for my TV show, Full Measure, which aired Sunday, October 23rd. This podcast has extended excerpts from that remarkable interview. Friend talks about what he sees as politically motivated, possible entrapment on the part of the FBI in at least two cases he worked, the kidnapping case of Governor Whitmer and the January 6th, 2021 prosecutions. Here's Stephen Friend. You came and originally in Florida, you're working child porn cases, which at the time, that was a high priority? At the time that I arrived, yes, the, the supervisor that was in place said there was a real need for it that he'd perceived and he'd argued relentlessly to keep my position open as a uh, child exploitation body for the division. And then what happened a couple months later that made you leave the child exploitation cases behind? At the end of the fiscal year, the uh, Jacksonville field office does an assessment and where it wants to reallocate any resources, what it deems to be a higher priority, lower priority type of cases. 
So the assistant special agent in charge reached out to our office and said that I was going to be reassigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force to uh, focus on domestic terrorism investigations. He said that uh, child exploitation and child pornography cases were going to be considered a local matter. What did you think about that? I was extremely disappointed. I'd come here to Daytona with the understanding that I was going to be working that violation for the foreseeable future. Uh, but I am a team player, said that you know, that's fine. Um, I was also worried because the FBI's bread and butter is to liaise with local law enforcement. And in my two and a half months working on those cases, I'd made a lot of promises to local sheriff's offices and police departments that I was going to be an asset to them uh, for the next decade plus of time. And we'd really gotten to work on some cases that were really important work, and I had hoped to continue that. What does it say to you or what does it imply that the word came, you know, leave the child exploitation cases and focus on domestic terrorism? I think that there's a tremendous incentive uh, at the leadership level, a senior executive staff level of a field office to pursue domestic terrorism cases because there's uh, incentives as far as financial to the leadership personally, but also because it's a higher priority media driven uh, narrative for the FBI to feed that beast. So that would have been coming from headquarters, the priority? Uh, I, I can't speak to the other field offices that are around, but I know that with the absolute focus on January 6th investigations that, and the message that's come out from Department of Justice that domestic terrorism is this incredible threat nationwide, that that had to be pushed out at least to the leadership within Jacksonville because that's what I heard. When you say there are financial incentives for leadership to focus on domestic terrorism, do you mean they get bonuses if they bring cases? Yes, they're the SES, the senior executive staff level, uh, it's beyond the GS-14. Once you get into the GS-15 level, um, there's a, a, a compensation package that's gonna be attached to that individual's uh, field office or whatever their responsibility is meeting certain metrics. And there's a negotiation essentially back and forth between the SES and DOJ and federal government on you know, what they deem to be good performance uh, measures to meet. And the C C senior executive staff was going to try to meet those measures because you know, obviously it's going to benefit their financials. So is it accurate to say the local FBI offices that brought January 6th cases probably saw financial benefit, at least the individual executives with the FBI in those offices? Yes. Yes, there was. And on top of that, even just for the field office in general, the national security uh, side of the house within the FBI is a very deep um, bucket of, of pool, uh, pool of funds. So if you are able to open up a full investigation for national security reasons, it's not a secret that you're going to have more money thrown at it than you could possibly imagine. And without a tremendous amount of oversight, it's I've, I've been in situations to cut a $30,000 check for surveillance without question, whereas on my you know, previous experience, it took years to get a, a jump drive given to me. Is it accurate to say, as far as you know, there were not bonuses being given for child exploitation cases? As far as I know, there weren't. Um, I know there were performance metrics that there might be tied to something there, but I know that with the added spotlight of domestic terrorism, that there's going to be clearly a focus there. 
When you were moved to domestic terrorism in October of last year, did that primarily mean the January 6th cases? Uh, at the time, yes. Uh, the, I looked when I was reassigned at the case level, at the case load, and with the exception of one or two in the year that I spent there, everything was either derivative of January 6th as far as a domestic terrorism enterprise investigation or just a, a riot investigation tied to the individual's direct actions that day. Were there a lot from the Florida area? There were a lot, a lot more than my prior assignments. So uh, when I talked to the other members of the JTTF, they expressed to me that they had been doing dozens and dozens of interviews um, in the immediate aftermath. So uh, it had been at that point that I joined, it was about a year and a half later, and, and they said that they had done interviews since January 6th itself. They had been going out and, and speaking to people, bringing cases forward and submitting them back to Washington, D.C. for review. As you started reading up and gathering facts, what were some of the thoughts that you had about the January 6th incident and the cases? I, I had sort of a mixed review. It, it, to me, there, there were some, some violent uh, actions by individuals that probably warranted uh, criminal prosecution. But then I also saw other cases where the individual was simply walking into the Capitol building with the permission of Capitol Police officers and had told the FBI that very same fact. And, and on occasion, there was surveillance video to support it. So knowing that and having that ahead of time kind of seemed to me that it was a waste of our valuable resources to pursue even a, an interview with that individual if we had them on video not committing any crime and just walking into the Capitol building, which is their right to do as an American citizen. So what happened when you expressed that, or did you express that? I expressed that within the JTTF, uh, and they shared my sentiments, but there's definitely a, we're just following orders mentality. Um, and I, after sitting through that for uh, about 10 months, that's when I made my decision to bring my concerns along with others to my supervisor. So somewhere down the line, you assume, word came down that even the people who weren't violent, who were welcomed or allowed into the Capitol, which is a public building, and normally you have a right to be there, even those people were to be prosecuted? I sat in an interview with an individual who we, I just described as going to Washington, D.C. for President Trump's speech, making his way over to the Capitol, going into the Capitol with permission of Capitol Police officers. There was video footage of him not even walking across a red velvet rope. He was fully cooperative and at that point was uh, working with an attorney. So he did a interview with us. And after that, the message that the other agent that I was uh, with him doing the interview with said to him, you know, we'll let you know what gets decided at Washington. So it was still in limbo. There was not a determination made at that point. What's happened since, do you know? I don't know. Okay. Um, when you said you decided to do something and step forward, what is it that you did internally first before you decided to go to members of Congress or blow the whistle? So there, uh, there was an email that was sent out that there was in fact going to be several arrests and search warrant operations happening the following week. And working in a small office, the, that sort of information gets circulated to everyone because normally we ask everybody be available, rearrange your schedule so that we can have everybody you know, participate if needed. So when that 
email came out and I realized that our actions were gonna be in, uh, in choreographed with another divisions, I knew that there was not gonna be putting off anything at that point. So I spoke to my uh, supervisor in my office, told him uh, that I did not wanna be involved with the operations um, and actually volunteered to do other uh, essentials duties that day. Uh, and and got, we got into a conversation about what my concerns were in general with the what cases. were what's the summary of what your concerns were? So uh, the the nuts and bolts are the uh, FBI is operating outside of its rules as far as managing its cases. Now our domestic in investigations operations guide spells out the rules that we're supposed to follow. It, typically, if a, a case is opened. In a particular field office, it's because the individual committed the crime there or they might reside there. Now, the rules also say that FBI headquarters can deem a, an office to be the office of origin at its own discretion. But once that decision is made and that case is opened and that case agent is assigned, that case agent, that field office owns that case and is responsible for every investigative decision that is made. I, in my eight years with the FBI, have opened probably 200 cases, uh, and every single time followed those rules, with the exception of January 6th investigations. And in those, there was a, a pressure from Washington for the field offices to open cases on individuals who were at the Capitol on January 6th, 2021, based on where they lived. So if they lived in our area, we were going to be the offices of origin. However, the way that those cases were investigated was essentially run from Washington, D.C. So in shorthand, what was so different about the cases? You explained what the normal rules were, but what was happening? Well, the personnel that we had in our offices were doing some investigative work. It was at the direction of the agents and task force officers in Washington, D.C. They were telling them, you need to go interview somebody. You need to go conduct surveillance on somebody. And that is out of line with the rules because those decisions should have been up to the purview of the case agents for those cases. And what is the implication? What motivation do you think there was or what conclusions did you draw from that? Well, I was told uh, that the actual on record motivation for it was to get quote unquote buy-in from the field. And that was said on a conference call to field officers around the country. What does that mean? I don't know. That was a term that was unfamiliar to me in my entire career. So it kind of left me up to my own devices to reach a conclusion for what the true reason was for that because it is so unusual and atypical. And what do you think? I think that there is um, a narrative that is being pushed forward that domestic terrorism is a nationwide problem that has seen an uptick in the last few years. And with the events at the Capitol on January 6th, that presented the opportunity to have a huge number of cases. And for the public to perceive that huge number being nationwide, they had to spread them around the country as opposed to just being a one-time incident on one day at the Capitol, because that would be easily dismissible as a, a black swan incident. Bayan also says to me, possibly, I don't know either, that if you get the field offices involved personally, they're not spectators that may be criticizing or questioning how something is done from headquarters. Maybe they are, as participants, more supportive or at least 
part of the whole system rather than looking at it from the outside, part of the prosecutions. I would agree. And I think that as far as promotions go within the FBI, if somebody wants to enter the managerial ranks, there's um, certain knowledge and skills and uh, experiences that they're supposed to demonstrate. And certainly being an active participant in what's considered one of the most important cases ever in the FBI is going to be something that anybody who has any ambition of promoting would want to take advantage of. Who was your supervisor that you spoke to? Uh, his name is Greg Federico. And what happened when you told him you didn't want to be part of the raids? We had a, a very cordial and conversation and, and was very friendly. And he essentially expressed to me that I was a domestic terrorism investigator and it wouldn't be appropriate for me to just not want to be involved with a domestic terror uh, operation. He said that, uh, you know, I, he wanted to give me the weekend to reconsider that. He said that he even had hoped he would have been happier if I had just called in sick that day because I was, I was essentially tying his hands that he had to report it up the chain, uh, even though I volunteered to perform other duties that day. So he said that maybe I needed to do assessment of what my future was going to be with the FBI if I was going to be unwilling to participate. What time period was that? That was in, uh, in August. Of 2022, the uh, arrests were going to be happening, I believe, August 24th, so it was the week before. And you came back to work or called and told them you felt the same way, you didn't want to be part of it? I returned to the office on Monday. The arrests were going to be on Wednesday. I told them that my opinion on the matter hadn't changed and that I was wanted to be considered to either be a conscientious objector, uh, having a conflict of interest, whatever term they wanted to use, and, um, and I would volunteer to do other uh, other duties, including sitting on an active wiretap where somebody had to man the phones that day. What did you think was so wrong about the raids? I understand the technical objection that you found or that you had, but why didn't you want to be part of it? Well, beyond just the fact that the FBI was operating outside of its rules, I, I felt that there was definitely a, a, um, a harder hand in the way that the arrests and the searches were going to be carried out. Uh, regardless of the individual's involvement in January 6th, they had been interviewed. There had been open line of communication between the FBI and those individuals. Some of them were actually in contact with attorneys. So the FBI, you know, it's, it's perfectly legal to use resources that it deems necessary. You know, if it's a tactical team, then that's at their disposal. Um, but there are other mechanisms that I felt that were better. You know, if it was using surveillance to arrest an individual when he was outside his home and, and you know, identifying him on the way to work and doing an arrest there, that could be warranted. Can you arrange someone to turn themselves in through their attorney? Yes, it's a process called issuing a summons to somebody. And it's very common, especially in white collar, uh, nonviolent crimes. Um, but even in situations where it is an allegation of violence, where the, you know, say it's somebody who's a public figure, you see it all the time that they'll surrender themselves to the court. So what happened? Do you know how many people were arrested in that raid? I believe that day there were five individuals that were going to be arrested. And there were going to be a, a few search warrants that were uh, going to be executed at their residences. Um, I did not participate that day because I was told not to come to work that day. So what, in, what ended up happening after that? So after I was placed uh, on absent without leave status for that day, I was allowed to return to work. And this was after a meeting that I had with two assistant special agents in charge with the Jacksonville field office. We spoke at length uh, for almost two hours. 
After I returned from AWOL, I wound up meeting with the special agent in charge of the Jacksonville field office. She came to Daytona to speak to me about my concerns, just like my supervisor, just like the assistant special agents in charge. And who was she and who was the ASAC? So there were two ASACs. That uh, was uh, Colt Markovsky and Sean Ryan. And the special agent in charge is Sherry Unks. And what was the result? So after meeting with uh, special agent in charge Onks and uh, telling her my concerns and she uh, used some, some choice language about me needing to do some soul searching about my future with the FBI. What did she say? She said that it, it appeared to her that I'd lost faith in the agency and its leadership and that I represented a very fringe belief uh, about the events of January 6th not needing the heavy handedness that the FBI was treating them, and that the, my belief that there could be potential abuses of power that it was incumbent on me to call out as a matter of my oath of office. She said that that was a very fringe belief and that uh, you know, I needed to do some soul searching about whether or not I wanted to have a future in the FBI. Uh, at the conclusion of our meeting, she said that I'd already been referred to the Office of Professional Responsibility and to the Security Division for the FBI about looking at my security clearance status. And then what happened? On August or September uh, 19th, I arrived at work, had, uh, was met by SAC Onks, uh, ASEC Markovsky, and SSRA Federico, and a security uh, division or personnel from Jacksonville and uh, was suspended. My security clearance was suspended, and therefore I can't work as a special agent for the FBI. What reason did they give you? They, I was given a, uh, a letter detailing their uh, grievances against me, and uh, the, the first was my refusal to participate in January 6 operations, which they considered to be lawful. And the second was uh, for my uh, improperly accessing material from the, uh, from the FBI's uh, red side, which is the classified side network. The information I accessed was unclassified. It was an employee handbook and a guidance on disciplinary procedures and emails from the Office of Professional Responsibility about uh, disciplinary actions that had taken over the last five years. And I got those at the direction of my attorney who was wanting that information so he could mount a defense for me in the case that I was facing a disciplinary action. So you got in trouble for consulting the employee handbook? Yes. Okay. Um, when did you go to a member of Congress with your concerns? I uh, sought Congressman Jordan's assistance with a letter uh, right uh, immediately in a few weeks before my suspension. So in late August or early September? Yes, it was the weekend before the Florida primary. Okay. Uh, drafted a letter, sent it to his office with my concerns uh, about uh, January 6th and uh, actually some other issues that were outside of, the, uh, of that. Sent it to him and spoke to members of his staff and uh, also consulted with an attorney. Why did you pick uh, Congressman Jordan? And did you do that with your attorney's advice or you just thought of it or researched it? I thought of Congressman Jordan because I'd seen in the public that he had been somebody who other whistleblowers had gone to. So I uh, surmised that there was probably an infrastructure there that I would be able to get in touch with you know, whistleblower attorneys or staff that would be familiar with what I was going to be talking about. 
What happens next for you? So after my suspension, I uh, was able to have some outreach from a whistleblower attorney and uh, they facilitated me drafting a complaint which we submitted to the Office of Special Counsel, to the uh, Inspector General, to the FBI's Office of Professional Responsibility, and as well as Senator's offices for Senator Chuck Grassley from, um, and Senator Ron Johnson and Senator Dick Durbin. What happens next? Well, the, I, I spoke to um, members of the staff for uh, Senator Grassley and Johnson. Uh, Senator Durbin's office did not reach out, did not respond. I've also spoken to the Office of Special Counsel uh, about my complaint. And right now, are you just employed by the FBI but not being paid and not going to work? I'm not going to work. I'm considered suspended without pay. Uh, I have the option to uh, use my accrued annual leave, but once that is expired, then I will not be receiving a paycheck. And that will be expiring here in the next two to three weeks. And then do they technically fire you? No, I still remain employed by the FBI. If I want to seek outside employment, I need their permission to, to do so. Can you quit? Uh, I believe I can quit, but uh, I do not want to. I, I want the public to know that this is not just a troubled employee. This is not something that's political to me. I, I think that my complaint will uh, warrant further scrutiny and consideration if I'm an active employee and an active special agent. Are you friends, do you think? Have you heard from any colleagues inside the FBI or former FBI folks that also imply your friends, or have you received some support? The support has been universally outpouring uh, in support of me. Uh, what I, types of things are people saying? I've had 30 plus retired agents send emails and messages to me through social media complimenting me and, and saying that I was representing the values that they had signed up and that their oath meant to them. I'm in contact with agents who are still working uh, for the FBI and they've sung my praises and, and said that, you know, that, that they agree with me um, and, and obviously express a little bit of reticence to join me because of the uh, turmoil that I'm now facing. With all of the things that have been going on with the FBI, including an FBI attorney that got caught doctoring a document for a wiretap against a Trump associate. A lot of things have come to light that don't shed the FBI in a good way, and including James Comey, the former FBI director, was referred for criminal charges by an inspector general, but the Department of Justice decided to pass on those. And that was for his handling of anti-Trump material that he took out of the office and had leaked to the press and so on. What does it say about the agency in general as you look more holistically at what's happened? You had told me you were isolated previously in an office where it didn't sound like much of this touched you, but as you've watched the news, what are some of your thoughts? I think there's a enormous chasm between the rank and file agents who are working cases every day and the management that is uh, supposed to be leading us and from our headquarters in Washington, D.C. I think that is a a more political, uh, politically minded and driven facet of the FBI. And it doesn't really have the ability to take the temperature of the room for the, the agents that are doing the day-to-day -day work. Has the FBI at some level become, in your view, political in a way that's harmful and possibly unlawful? It has. I, I, um, it, it hurts me to say that because I applied to become a special agent. I just wanted to put bad guys in jail. Uh, 
but it, to me it seems now that the way that the cases are being directed or even chosen to be um, investigated, there's definitely a political motivation to choose certain cases over others that aren't necessarily explainable away by we don't have the manpower or the resources to look into everything. They seem to be finding the resources to look at things that support a certain narrative at the expense of others. You are married and your wife had an incident where she was communicating privately, if I understand this correctly, with somebody on Facebook and somehow that private message was seen. Can you tell me about that? Yes, so after my identity became public, there was a, a lot of uh, support that came in. Uh, at the time, I didn't have a social media presence outside of a, a LinkedIn account that I'd set up in the hopes that I maybe could secure employment after the FBI fell through. Um, uh, a woman from Moms for Liberty reached out to a mutual friend of, of ours and said that she wanted to support me. So that friend further uh, passed along that conversation on to us. My wife uh, is an immigrant. She, she comes from Ukraine. So she has a Facebook account and is not, uh, doesn't have her name on it. It has her name in the, the Russian alphabet. So unless you speak Russian, you wouldn't even know anything. She doesn't identify herself on it. She only uses it for private messaging and, and looking at pictures uh, of family. Uh, she sent a direct private message to this woman saying, I'm Steve Friend's wife and we really appreciate it. It would be very helpful if you could share uh, our story because at this point, at, at that point, I hadn't uh, spoken publicly. Uh, within 30 minutes, she received notification from Facebook that her account was suspended for violating the community standards. She appealed the decision uh, and the following day, her account was completely shut down. And you assume that's something that was in her direct message? The, uh, yeah, the only thing that was in her direct message was her identifying herself as Steve Friend's wife. What does that say to you? I think that there is definitely some monitoring going on at Facebook, which is, is definitely contradicting the uh, uh, statements that, that have come from their leadership about monitoring private conversations. Monitoring with the FBI involved? That's my fear, that, that there's definitely some, um, they're working in cahoots with each other uh, and, and they're, they're not afraid to clearly to do it, especially with the rapidness that that happened. They didn't hesitate for one moment and even when an appeal came in and when a news story was broken about it, there was no response from them and the account was shut down. What are the other complaints that you voiced besides the January 6th procedures? Well, I told my supervisor and the ASACs and the special agent in charge that I saw a Venn diagram. There was a lot of overlap with January 6th and the Governor Whitmer kidnapping uh, investigation that happened, which I was involved in in a small way uh, as a member of the SWAT team for the Omaha field office. We were one of the tactical teams that assisted with the takedowns there. And the message I got across to them was I, I felt like at the time uh, that that was a legitimate investigation of some people that were going to be doing something that was very evil, regardless of political you know, leanings one way or another. There's a elected representative who's going to be under threat of being assassinated. Then I need it's incumbent on me. My oath says that, and that's my job. And I'm going to be the first one to volunteer to be there to to help. So we we executed that warrant and uh, drove away. I thought that I'd done done good work that day. Now in the intervening time, there was uh, a lot came out with the trials of those individuals, and I, I frankly felt like I'd been used as as an apparatchik of a politically driven agency. And I, with the overlap of you know, the way that those individuals were uh, 
or may have been entrapped. And I saw that some of these individuals on January 6th were being allowed into the Capitol by police officers. There was certainly an element of that that to me smelled a little bit like entrapment. And I didn't want to make the same mistake twice. There was that once shame on you, twice shame on me thinking that I had. Is there a way to really succinctly summarize the Governor Whitmer conspiracy, you know, the people that were supposedly going to kidnap her and what came out afterwards about it? Uh, the FBI Detroit office opened an investigation on individuals that said they were part of a militia that was intending on kidnapping and assassinating Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, the FBI used undercovers and informants in that investigation and wound up making several arrests in the fallout. It appeared that the undercovers and the uh, case agents were driving this case and driving this narrative to entrap individuals who were uh, not disposed to commit the crimes. And were you out of the Florida office at the time? No, I was in, uh, I was in Sioux City. That's why you were part of executing that warrant. Okay. Correct. Um, what do you think is the most important takeaway, even if there's more than one point? What should people know about this FBI and what's happening now? This FBI is willing to step outside its own rules to support a narrative that is, it, it contras everything that this country is all about. This country is all about having open discussion and conversation and compromise. If uh, you and I disagree on a corporate tax rate, we can have that discussion and there's not a problem there. Now, if I disagree with a member of the Taliban over a corporate tax rate, I can't have the conversation because I think he's going to try to blow me up. Now, with the January 6th investigation labeling this huge swath of individuals across the country as domestic terrorists, it's essentially made them in, to one side of the country look like members of the Taliban. We can't have a conversation. And the FBI has allowed itself to be used as an instrument of furthering that. You've been directly involved with two important cases that we've discussed, but does that make you draw conclusions about other things that have been in the news? Some say the subpoena, the way it was served on President Trump at Mar-a-Lago was heavy-handed and unnecessary. There are a lot of allegations of people being arrested by the FBI in ways that maybe wasn't necessary because they could have turned themselves in or had been cooperating. What does this make you think in the bigger picture, your experience? In my experience, it's saying that the FBI is willing to use a heavy hand uh, and, and not perform a proper assessment on what's necessary. I'm hardly a shrinking violet when it comes to pursuing criminals. Uh, my experience, I've investigated violent criminals for eight years. I've arrested 150 plus people. They were for rape, aggravated assault, molestation, some awful crimes. Never once did I have to use a tactical team to do it because I have training, I have relationships with local law enforcement, and I want to bring the process forward in a peaceful way because everybody, as vile as their allegations and as their crimes may be, is entitled to due process in this country. And then my last question has to do with the magnitude of what you're talking about, I don't think should be lost, that the FBI, our premier law enforcement agency in this country domestically, could be in your view at least, doing things that are the antithesis of what they're supposed to be doing. And yet these are the law and order people that we rely on at the highest levels in this country. I applied to the FBI 
because I believe in the mission. I believe that we have a country with a constitution and that it's incumbent on us to step up and to defend that and to protect people from predators. That's, that's why I joined. So I, I look at my responsibility as uh, I want to combat bullying and that's why I became a special agent. If the FBI becomes the bully, that doesn't change my responsibility. I need to stand up and, and face that down, even if it means my career. I have two children and I tell them that no matter what, if they see a bully, they have dad's full support in combating that. I will never, they, I will go through a wall for them because that is what we do in our family. I feel the same way professionally with the FBI. And if the FBI is willing to become a bully, then it's truly lost. That was Special Agent Stephen Friend, currently suspended without pay. If you would like to watch the interview, you can see the replay of the Sunday story that I did for my TV program, Full Measure, which aired Sunday, October 23rd. You can go to fullmeasure.news. Or anytime, you can also go to CherylAxon.com. And if you hover your cursor over the Full Measure tab, you'll see a drop-down menu with all of my cover stories. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and that if so, you'll leave a good review, subscribe to it, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. And now you can support independent journalism causes by visiting CherylAckeson.com and clicking the Store tab for some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes. It's never been more important. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.